is CLNS Radio, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and co-founder of CLNS Radio. And today I'm joined by Ty Ray with a heartfelt message for you. Hey, Nick. Odds are you know someone who's been affected by breast cancer. My family has personally been touched. The numbers are staggering. One in eight women will develop a form of invasive breast cancer over the course of their lifetime. CLNS. Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time, and then throws, and that is caught for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes, second down and six. Brady, the throw, and complete. first down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Patriots Beat. Seems like we have a little bit of backfeed on the uh, intros. My name is Jeff Kane. I am at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. So we got a great uh, show hitting up for you today. Um, at CLNS Radio is the Twitter, Facebook www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. I am joined today by my good friend, Bob Snowden, at Snowden Bob. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm always doing good when we talk football. Well, that's... Can't beat that. We seem to be having a little bit of a back uh, talk issue here, uh, Bob. Let me... uh, let me put the show on pause, and then we can uh, get this thing back up and going. Okay, no problem. You getting feedback through a headset? Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time, and then throws, and that is caught for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes, second down and six. Brady, the throw, and complete. first down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. Well, and welcome to Patriots Beat. I'm Bob Snowden. Jeff Kane will be with us in just a couple of moments as we get ready for a, another Sunday of Patriots Talk. Uh, if you have a subject you, you'd like to talk about, you can give us a call. We're going to get uh, uh, some things going in just a minute again, having some technical problems earlier, but Jeff is working on them right now. We'll be talking a few things uh, specifically this show since, uh, since free agency is underway. No one has signed anyone, and no one has designated anyone as their uh, 
the designated uh, high-priced individual, including the Patriots. Uh, but there are some names out there that are very interesting. So we'll talk free agency. We'll talk the draft. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, some of the players in the combine, although I, I was mentioning to Jeff before we went on the air, um, if you are a diehard football fan um, and have nothing else to do, I guess you can sit and watch the combine from beginning to end. I'm a diehard football fan, but guys, I got to tell you, I can't just sit there and watch it continuously, roll and roll and roll. And and I get a kick out of uh, Mike Mayock, and uh, we'll be quoting him on some things later on during the show. And uh, the the tone of voice, the reverence as they're talking about the players, uh, I, I, it's almost like watching a golf match. And you know when someone gets up to putt. And in a real low voice, they say, okay, he's three feet from them. That's what they're doing on the combine. I'm not sure whether someone can hear them that's, that's down there uh, trying to, to run the 40-yard dash, the sprint, or the three-cone drill or what. But it sure seems like they think there'll be a distraction if they talk loud enough to really hear what they say. So I'm getting kind of a kick out of that. I do have it on as we're doing a show today in the – in the background, but uh, so so if there's some big highlight that suddenly comes up, I'll try and let you know. But so far, I uh, I haven't seen anything that's specific. We're also going to talk a little bit of Tom Brady today, and and what are the expectations for the rest of his career? You know, Tom's getting up there in age. Still a great year last year after a very slow start, uh, and the question will be: Was the slow start? Tom Brady losing the edge, or was it because of all the new wide receivers, uh, people being in the wrong place at the wrong time? So uh, once Jeff gets on board, we'll, we'll talk that a little bit. Um, Jeff is ready to go, my friend. The, the franchise of the Patriots and how successful it's been. So you're there, Jeff. I am ready to go, my friend, and thank you very much for taking over the lead host there as uh, I was having some uh, mic backlash issues. I apologize to our listeners. Again, as Bob said, this is Patriots Beat. Call in number 347-215-7771. I'd like to mention that uh, we are brought to you today by Michelle's Place. Um, on behalf of the ownership group, management, and contributors of CLNS Radio and the Beats and Eats podcast, we are asking you to consider donating however much or however little to the Reality Rally event benefiting Michelle's Place. Because your charitable ways are so appreciated, a donation of $25 gets you a free ticket to the Reality Rally Breakfast with the Stars event. There you will meet many of the 100-plus celebrities, as well as Nick Gelso, Ty Ray, CLS Radio, and MTV, Awkward's Matthew Fahey, Hell's Kitchen Chef, Barrett Boyer, and Anthony Rodriguez. CLNS Celtics locker room reporter Jared Weiss, potentially many more of your favorite CLNS personalities. 100% of the net proceeds of your donation goes directly to Michelle's Place. That got cut off at a little bit at the beginning. Michelle's Place, of course, um, benefiting women with breast cancer, which we all have had been touched with someone in our lives who has had cancer, um, and it is a great, great charity to be to be giving money to. So as Bob said, as he did such a wonderful job leading in here, we have a lot of things to talk about today. I normally, Bob, am one of those guys that sits down and watches every single second of the combine. I uh, unfortunately have not been able to do that yet. 
Uh, I was moving my mother yesterday, so uh, the back's a little sore, but the voice is ready to go and talk a little New England Patriots. You, you were moving your mother. Is she really a big, big person? Is she hard to move? <laughs> my mother, oh, and it's sorry. funny because I am the Boston fat guy, and, you know, I, I, I kept the scales at 260 pounds. Well, my mother is five foot two, eighty nine pounds soaking wet. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, I, uh, I, I could throw her on one shoulder while carrying a couch. <laughs> and Willis, stop complaining about how hard it was to move her. Well, you know, I should. I should. But, you know, I'm getting, getting up in there in age, and, you know, the muscles well, don't react the way that they used to. Don't, so. don't even talk to me about getting up there in age. I'm not going to go there. Hey, I was looking oh, at some things this morning. <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we'll skip beyond that quickly. I was looking at some things this morning and trying to catch up on some of the columns. I, I like to read the Mike Reese stuff. And, and I happened to run across Chris Price uh, reissued a column he had written during the 2013 Combine. Uh, and it had some real interesting stuff in it. But one of the people he talked a little bit about uh, was someone that I know you've talked about in the past that you really liked, uh, T.J. Moe. And, oh, definitely. You know, he had problems last year, obviously injury problems. Um, and I saw someone tweet back uh, to uh, Chris, gee, whatever happened to him? Well, you and I both know he was injured, but I don't know what his status is now. Have, do you have any idea? Is he healthy? And is he going to be available to try and do some stuff with the Patriots this year? Well, from what I've read up on, on T.J. Moen, of course, I wrote a column uh, last week about uh, Julian Edelman and the dilemma on whether to bring him back or not. And T.J. Moen was one of the guys that I highlighted as someone who could come in and fill that slot role. Uh, he was a great slot receiver at, at, at Mizzou um, and did some really nice things there. His senior year, he caught 40 passes for 399 yards. When he had Blaine Gabbert, yes, the same Blaine Gabbert who can't complete a pass in the NFL – uh, when he had Blaine Gabbard on his on his side, he he caught 92 balls. So T.J. Moe is a extremely shifty wide receiver. He is in that, as Chris Price pointed out, the Wes Welker mold. Uh, he had a tour's uh, Achilles tendon last year. Um, and the Patriots thought enough of him to uh, let him clear through waivers, re-sign him, and put him on IR. All things that I've read about him is that he is going to be uh, completing this year um, in the off-season program, uh, going into OTAs and, and everything like that. So he is signed right now by the team. Very intriguing prospect. Uh, of course, one of the things that Chris Price, and, and I also believe Mike Reese also wrote about today, um, is that three-cone drill. Uh, it's one of the things that the New England Patriots really put a lot of stock into. Uh, anything under around seven seconds is considered amazing. And the Patriots last year drafted Josh Boyce, drafted Logan Ryan. Both of those guys were under seven seconds. In fact, um, Josh Boyce was the third best wide receiver in the three-cone drill. And the number one man in the three-cone drill happened to be T.J. Moe. Uh, that shows explosiveness uh, in and out of cuts. It is not top-end speed. Uh, it's the ability to change direction on the fly, uh, you know, we've seen that in for the New England Patriots in their slot receivers and in guys like Wes Welker and Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola before he got hurt and going back to uh, Troy Brown 
um, guys who were able to get in and out of cuts fast. Not the most tight top end speed, but in and out of cuts fast, uh, cuts fast and, you know, taking up that middle of the field. So that's why I'm excited about T.J. Moe. Well, and, and the three-cone drill, the Patriots have always obviously looked at it very highly when they're in the uh, checking numbers in the combine. And is a truer indication of what someone could possibly do on the football field speed-wise? Because how many times do you see someone just do a flat-out sprint down the field with no one near them or not having to make a move? Uh, I don't I don't know that it ever happens, even on the deep, the, the, the Hail Mary, there's someone in front of you that you have to avoid at some point to get that deep. So, you know, the, the test of your agility to make a move and still have speed uh, is valuable in the wide receiver or, you know, tight end or any of those positions that are the skill positions that you're counting on getting speed downfield. You don't get to use that full speed until, you know, on the latter part of the, the catch or the run. So, I, you know, the three-cone drill, I think uh, the, the pass have hit the nail on the head and have obviously looked high at, at that as, uh, as as an indicator on who they're looking for in the draft. Oh, exactly. And I always talk about the uh, the combine being the underwear Olympics. Um, you know, the guys are sitting out there, they're, they're, they're wearing speed suits to run their 40-yard dashes, you know, yeah. and top-end speed, yeah, it's it, it's great. Game speed, when you have 25, 30 pounds of equipment on you, you know, how do you get in and out of your breaks? And that's where the three-cone drill, I think that's where Belichick has been one of the the big things of, of what he has done in the past and how he's drafted. Um, you know, it, it, it's amazing. Even guys like uh, Jamie Collins last year had a very good three-cone drill. Uh, we talked about him um, and where, where we could sit, where we could see him coming up in the next couple of years. Um, the type of player that he could be, very a- athletic, agile player. So that's a good thing that I'll, I'm looking at there. So that's why, you know, the combine is something you want to look at as a step in the process. Of course, the coaches have spent many time looking over film right now. The combine is the second step of the evaluation process. The third step is, you know, at the at the player's school, their pro days. And then, of course, each team has allotted a certain amount of players that they can have interviews with up in, say, a Foxborough and stuff like that. So it's an evaluation process right now uh, for these players, for these coaches, and this is where you get to know the maturity of, uh, of players and, and, and where they come in. This is where, uh, you know, a, a guy like Jace, uh, Chase Amaro, the tight end who's been linked to the Patriots many times um, in many different mock drafts, he is said to have been impressed in his interviews. This is the time where you really get a feeling of what these players are. So that's what the combine is all about. Well, and so many of the top-name players have really skipped a lot of the workouts in the, the combine and not shown, what, especially quarterbacks, not done all the drills that are necessary in the combine. And I know they get knocked for it, but, I mean, if you're going to be a number one draft pick and you know you are – you don't want to go out there and actually hurt yourself, not physically, but your your probability. So, you know, some of the players kind of back away. That doesn't usually hurt them. What hurts more is someone that goes out there and has a bad combine uh, and, and was thought of highly, and all of a sudden their stock drops considerably. And there's always the player, too, who goes in there and no one really heard of before, and all of a sudden on the combine does some spectacular stuff and uh, – you know, 
they jump off the list. Speaking of tight ends, you mentioned tight end a moment ago. Obviously, that's an area the Patriots are are looking at in the combine. They've talked to every one of the key tight ends that are there and done interviews with them from everything I'm reading and seeing. And, you know, you never know with Bill Belichick, that would seem to indicate tight end is going to be high on their priority list. But with BB, you never know. I mean, he could turn around and not draft a tight end the whole way through. He's he's never drafted who people thought he was going to draft as far back as I can remember. I, I don't Have you ever picked correctly, Jeff, when following the Patriots and draft day comes around, you get all excited and you got your little sheet out there and you're working off that <laughs> and it comes the Patriots time and they pick someone and he's not even on your sheet. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, I remember going way back. I mean, even going as far back as as uh, the second Bill Belichick draft um, where they picked up Richard Seymour um, and I was expecting them to go after uh, David Terrell, the wide receiver out of uh, Michigan, uh, at the number seven pick up instead. He was sitting there, and they could have got him, but they went after Richard Seymour, who ended up having a great career and really stepped up and, and made the Patriots' defense what they were. Um, and, and, and you go across that, I think the only time that I ever kind of pegged who the Patriots would take was back in the 2004 draft uh, when Vince Wilfork fell down. Um, into their range, I thought yeah. if he's there, they're going to grab him. I had had running back Stephen uh, Jackson out of Oregon, who of course was selected by the uh, the St. Louis Rams as the running back that they would tag, because that was the year that they they didn't have uh, they they let Antoine Smith walk. I figured for sure that they would they would pull the trigger on a guy like Stephen Jackson. Uh, but right before the draft, they traded the second round pick to the Cincinnati Bengals for Corey Dillon. And when Vince Wilfork fell down in that 20 range, the Patriots snapped all over him. And that was about the only time I could actually say that I, I was able to pick who the Patriots would, would select. Going back to, to the 2009 draft, I got a little close with, uh, with Gerard Mayo. Um, I, I thought yeah. that he'd be on their radar. But some of the guys that they drafted, Nate Soldier, I had no clue yeah. they would they would draft him. I you know, I, I'm sitting there. He really, at the time, he really wasn't a need. Um, he's become a need ever since Matt Light retired. But at the time, he wasn't a need. They had, of course, Matt Light on one side and Sebastian Ballmer on the other. So I figured that he wasn't a need. But now, you know, he's the starting left tackle in the NFL. So yeah, well, I don't ever really think I can guess who they'll draft. They they almost at times I think they almost talk to players just to get rumors started so other teams may think, gee, we're going to lose him if we don't draft him now. Uh, and they really don't have that person on the radar. I, I get that feeling every year that Belichick is, is playing games a little bit, not only with the media, which you always play games with, but also with the other teams uh, and, and not tipping his hand at all in the direction he's going. And he's... Uh, you know, he he doesn't tip his head to anyone. Speaking of Belichick, too, he's got a couple of people with him uh, this year down at the draft that uh, I guess it's not a shock, but to see, uh, you know, our, our old friend, Mr. Lombardi, uh, back with the team and what was his official title? Assistant, assistant coach or something like that. 
but he has a lot of respect for Lombardi, who was not very successful, let's face it, in, in Cleveland, but wasn't given much of a chance. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of Lombardi, and thing. will he bring anything to the Patriots? You know, I think Lombardi does bring something to the Patriots. You know, and, and, and when the announcement was finally made the past, I think it was Thursday, that Lombardi had joined the team as an assistant to the coaching staff. Of course, he was seen at Logan Airport with Bill Belichick on the way to the Combine. There were a lot of negative tweets going out there. Oh, it's just another Belichick yes-man. Well, I personally don't think it is another Belichick yes-man. I think Bill Belichick, even when uh, Lombardi was not in the NFL, I mean, of course, he was in the NFL with the, with the Browns when, when Belichick was there. He was... Uh, the GM of the Raiders, he had a one-year shot here with the Cleveland Browns. But even when he was working for the NFL Network, Lombardi always had talked to Belichick. They have the same ideas of how to build a team. But to me, Lombardi is that type of guy who can kind of push back on Bill and say, all right, Bill, here's here's where we got to go. Here's what we got to do. I'm excited to have uh, Michael Lombardi there. The other thing that came out earlier today, I believe it was from Doug Kai from Nesson, um, he said that one of the reasons the Patriots were excited to bring in Lombardi is that he had had a three-week head start on the evaluation process of the draft than the Patriots did. So Lombardi, uh, he could he could bring something in. It reminds me of when they brought in Floyd Reese about five or six years ago, very respected a talent evaluator from the Tennessee Titans, and he was on the staff for a little while before Nick Casario took over. Um, very exciting. Gives you a different, uh, different look at at things. A guy who was not with the organization the previous year, and the Floyd uh, Reese year was uh, the first year that they drafted. I believe it was the year they got uh, Devin McCourty and uh, Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. So that was a very good draft. So excited to see uh, Lombardi around. Well, and and you had one of the things I was going to mention is I saw the tweets that you did too. Uh, by people that probably are big sports fans but may not have that much inside knowledge, not that I have a a whole bunch or you either, but from what I do know, uh, Lombardi is not a yes man. And, uh, you know, my fear and, and a lot of people's fear was that Belichick, with losing all of the people that he lost, his coaches, the, the Skarnekis and the, you know, everyone. I mean, he's lost almost, uh, what is it, four or five coaches this year, that the people that would come in would be afraid to really challenge him. Um, and he needs someone there, and he needs people there to challenge him. And I, I think Lombardi will do that. So I, I, do, I like you, think that's a good move. Uh, and the guy knows football. Uh, he may not have been a success in Cleveland, but I'm not too sure with that ownership anyone can be a success in Cleveland until they solidify some things. And, you know, they obviously haven't done it yet and continue. I mean, the, the trade they made last year, I don't know whether that was Lombardi or not, um, but giving up on Trent Richardson when they did was smart. <laughs> you know, he, he obviously was not going to reach the potential that everybody thought he would, and they got – you know, value in return for him that I'm not too sure anyone else would have been willing to give up. So, no, exactly. You know, he knows the players and he knows the NFL. No, I mean, you look what, uh, when that draft, when that trade was made, I'm sitting there going, wow, I can't believe they just gave up on, on Richardson. You know, coming out of Alabama, Richardson was, you know, everyone's, he's got to be the next Adrian Peterson. 
he had a decent to solid rookie year, and I, I for one, thought he was going to be a very good NFL running back. Two subpar games, three subpar games with Cleveland before he traded to Apple's Colts. I'm like, wow, that's going to put the Colts over the over the edge because I thought the one thing the Colts lacked was a running game. I thought Trent Richardson was great, and I said, this is the type of thing that the Colts are doing right now because they realize, hey, the AFC is a little weak. If we get a running game, we're right up there with the Denver Broncos. We're right up there with the New England Patriots. And Trent Richardson just fell apart. By the end of the year, he yeah, I mean, he, had, well, he averaged, so. what was it, 2.18 yards per carry, something like that. It actually was, by the time the season ended, not their prime running back anymore. Now, how much of that has to do with the offensive line, how much of that has to do with you know, whether he was injured or not, you, you don't really know, but the great running backs, even with terrible offensive lines, average around four yards a carry. And when you're two or in the low twos, that's a little scary for a guy who was the number one pick in the draft. I mean, that that it, the it, the potential, I think, may still be there, but I'm not too sure anyone has any confidence in what his ability is to, to be a feature running back in the NFL. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I've been reading a little bit about the uh, running back position in the NFL, and it's become devalued. Now, is that because the, the league has become more wide open, more pass sensitive? That's a possibility. I still think the running back is a extreme important part of the NFL. The Patriots, of course, this year, well documented on my side, when they ran the ball 30 or more times, they were undefeated. They had, Out of their 12 wins, uh, and 10 of them, they ran the ball over 30 times. Uh, in their five losses this year, they did not run the ball 30 times. I still think the running game is extremely important in the NFL, even though we're seeing unbelievable things from quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford. I still think it shows that a balanced running game is needed. Now, are the days of a 300-plus yard you know, running back, 300-plus carry a year running back gone? Yes, they are. Because you see teams like the Patriots where they have multiple running backs that can do multiple different things that allow them to be a little more broad. What do you thought? Well, you know, the the, the running, running back position has evolved. It's completely different than it was back when Green Bay was three yards in a cloud of dust and even before that. There was a real interesting, I forget whether it was on 30-30 uh, piece, uh, that went through the history of the past in pro football and its evolution to where it is now. Uh, and it was really interesting to watch as the past became more a factor. But one of the things you see is over the years, it goes through cycles. A team will periodically win it all with a running back, but normally the passing game now is the key element, and the running back has become a secondary factor. It used to be, you know, you ran to set up the pass. Well, now it's pretty much reversed itself. You pass and set up the run uh, for most teams. And most teams have in their backfield uh, someone that is very good on third down um, catching the ball. And, you know, our, our friend Mr. Vereen is the example with the Patriots and how many first downs he got, the percentage of his catches that were for first downs was phenomenal. Uh, so, you know, the running back position, I agree with you, is still, you have to have it. I mean, you, you, number one, your quarterback will get killed if the defense knows you're going to pass on every down. Uh, there's no way 
that, that no matter how good the offensive line is, that if the defensive line just pins back its ears knowing you're going to pass, you're not going to get uh, get some really hard hits no matter how much they try and regulate it on quarterbacks. Uh, but it is less valued, and I, I agree with you. I think the day of the the running back being the key component on an offense, at least for now, is is gone. It's more exciting to see a pass play. The fans like passes. The fans like high scores. Uh, the teams that run the most, uh, in many cases, the only reason they run the most is because they want to control the clock because they know they'll get killed if they pass a whole bunch, and their quarterback may not be that strong. But any team that has a real good quarterback is going to pass more than they run now. Well, yeah, that, but that brings me to another issue here with the New England Patriots this year. They they became a, a power run team down the stretch because they had to adjust. I mean, they have one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks of all time in Tom Brady, and, and you said it earlier today, I mean, about Tom Brady. You know, he had a little bit of a down start to the year, and, and that was possibly because he was – learning some new wide receivers. But down the stretch when, you know, you had Gronkowski injured and out and a less than affected Danny Amendola with the with the groin injury and of course the two rookies and in, in uh Tompkins and Dobson who were fighting injury. The only wide receiver that you had that was any good was was Julian Edelman. He was the only guy that stayed healthy the entire year. And the Patriots leaned a little more on the running game. And we saw that in the AFC championship game against the Denver Broncos that once they they got down and, and, and they couldn't establish that run, the Broncos absolutely owned the Patriots' offensive line because they could pin their rear backs and run. I think you're 100% right there that sometimes if they know what's coming, they're going to get after the quarterback. And we saw it in the, uh, it, we saw it in the Super Bowl. The, the Broncos couldn't establish that running game. Yep. And there were some tremendous hits by the Seattle Seahawks. Well, and part of the Patriots' success at running was a little deceptive. And I'm not trying to take away from from particularly those two back-to-back performances by Blunt, but those both those performances were against two of the weakest run defenses in the NFL. So, again, I'm not trying to take away from him, but it was a little deceptive because they made it look so easy. I mean, it, it was kind of crazy uh, in, in the Buffalo game. I mean, it, it was... They knew you were running, and they still couldn't stop you. Those defenses were bad. Patriots run offense as good as it looked there? No, it's not. And is their pass offense as bad as it looked at times last year? No, it's not. But overall, you know, my my big thing is they finished third in the NFL on offense, despite sputtering at certain locations and certain times during the year. Uh, they still had you know, put up points when they had to. And the Denver game was a a hard pill to swallow at the end. But in reality, the Pats had done so much more than anyone thought they could do during the course of the year. That, uh, you know, you you look at the franchise, and I'm, I'm going to quote Mike Reese here a little bit in reading his column this morning. He had done a, a radio talk show uh, uh, one day this week. He was hosting it. And he made the comment in his column that if you haven't read it, you you need to read it. Mike is one of the great NFL uh, reads because he has some really good insight and good connections. And you you, I learn every time I read his column. But he was talking about the Patriots Nation, and you and I had discussed this a little bit last week, and their 
lack of understanding what they have. And a couple of the things he, he put out there, just really, you, you look at them, and even if you knew it was like that, you didn't realize just how much the Patriots have control. There are only two teams in the league right now that have had winning seasons. Winning seasons. I'm not talking about playoffs. I'm talking about winning seasons four years in a row. And that's New England and Green Bay, and Green Bay was 8-7-1 and one this year. Uh, they're the only two teams in the NFL that have had winning seasons four years in a row, and the Patriots have had a winning season 13 years in a row. I mean, that's unreal. Yep. It's unbelievable. Go ahead. No, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's funny because I tweeted it out this morning at you know, 5.30 in the morning when I get up on Sunday mornings. It's the first thing I do. I, I, I log on to ESPNBoston.com. I look for quick hits and thoughts around the NFL, and, and I read it. And I tweeted out this morning at probably about quarter quarter six uh, that Patriots Beat was going to be on today, and we would be talking about uh, Section 3B. Um, and I did listen to the morning show that he was on this week um, on my way into work, and, and he's right. I mean, you know, Mike Reese is sometimes referred to as the fifth craft son um, you know, because he's he he doesn't as Michael Felgo is up there. You know, he's not very critical of the team, but he is critical of the team when it when it needs be, and he does a great job with this. And he's right because we t- we touched on it last week. Why does this? Why does Patriot Nation think they got to win a Super Bowl every year? Now, granted, yes, they haven't won in nine years. When was the last time the Detroit Lions won a Super Bowl? <laughs> because let me tell you, Patriots fans. The New England Patriots, before Bill Belichick, were a little bit better of a version of the Detroit Lions, of the Cleveland Browns. You know, well, and, and, and there were some times, I don't know, that they were a better version. <laughs> I mean, better than the Lions <laughs> were when they didn't win a game, but, but the Pats had some seasons Pardon. they were pretty horrendous. <laughs> and we had that conversation last week with Adam Jones about, you know, why is it that a 12-4 and New England Patriots team and this is where I got to laugh because b- before the Patriots went up against the Denver Broncos and lost, I heard so many people talking about this was Bill Belichick's greatest job and what an amazing coach and Tom Brady and this and that. And then they lose to a better team on the road in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, Bill Belichick's a terrible general manager. Bill Belichick, you know, they got to do something with him, you know, is this the end of Tom Brady's career, you know, blow it up, start over, would you trade, would you trade Tom Brady for a first round draft pick? Would you do this? <laughs> would, you know, it, it, it just, it's, it's such a knee jerk reaction because right before the Super Bowl, it was, well, we need to get, we need to get players around Tom Brady. Listen, we need to get players around Tom Brady. Look what, look what Denver was able to do. And then right after the Super Bowl, it was, oh my God, oh my God, we need to, Turn around and become the Seattle Seahawks. With all those great wide receivers, everybody you know that that Peyton Manning had around him, they couldn't get beyond Seattle. So you know the the idea of having all these great wide receivers, there aren't many Super Bowl teams that have won having a whole bunch of great wide receivers, great quarterbacks a lot of times, but not necessarily great wide receivers. I mean the the Pats during their Super Bowl runs, when they played in the Super Bowl and won, 
their wide receivers weren't that great. I mean, Deion Branch was probably the best of the lot. They didn't win the Super Bowl with Moss. Uh, you know, they they really haven't had a lot of great wide receivers over the course of the the, the, the Brady uh, term. I know people will mention Moss, and I agree for, what, two and a half, three years, he was probably as great uh, as he had been at any other point in his career. But other than him, there's no name you look at and say, man, that's a Hall of Famer at wide receiver for the Patriots. And yet they've won the three Super Bowls and have been to the Super Bowl five times uh, in the last, what, ten years. It's just the numbers are amazing. And I I don't want to go off on the tangent about that again, other than a wide receiver isn't what's going to get you there. And those that are really hyping wide receiver, uh, including last week, uh, you know, with with, – with our guest who was into the wide receiver mode, and I understand it, but I, I just don't see wide receiver as the issue with the Patriots. Uh, I know you you think the offensive and defensive line are key components, and, and I agree with you, and Mike Reese kind of agrees with you too because, again, in his column, he, he did bring up some of the important positions uh, that they need to look at, and, and, you know, he talked a little bit about Ryan Wendell at uh, – at center and how important that position to the Patriots. And, you know, he's he's been the starting center for the last couple of seasons. He's an unrestricted free agent, and should the Patriots pay him uh, big bucks? And he questions whether it's worth it or not, although center is a key position for the Patriots. Uh, I thought know, that as far was... as cap base goes, and, and we'll get into that probably in a couple. You know, I, I look at other positions besides wide receiver, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, as being more critical to the growth next year. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I think it's it, it showed a lot because one of the things that I have talked about has been the offensive line. I've talked at nauseum about the the interior offensive line and the, and the defensive line as well. And it, it, it struck a chord with me when Mike Reese came out. One of his things was today that that um, center has become one of the most valued yep. positions in the NFL. And he did come out and say, you know, what what will they sign Ryan Wendell for? And, and I think that's one of the big things because in his column, and it, it's been in columns that I've written, it's, it's, it's been on the post-game show, it's been on Patriots Beats where I've said it, I've said that, you know, Tom Brady is the most uncomfortable when he cannot step up into the pocket. Same goes with uh, Peyton Manning. If you want to go after those guys, the quickest way to the quarterback is right up the middle. And you look back at the, the Super Bowls the Patriots have lost, you know, they didn't have the time to, to step up into the pocket because the middle of the line had been crushed down. When Tom Brady is at his best, it's when he steps up to a nice form pro- uh, pocket and makes – completions you know it gives the time for the crossing routes and the drags to work it gives the time for an outside wide receiver to get open and we saw that in the in the AFC championship game that Brady didn't have the time to step up the offensive line was absolutely dominated Terrence Knighton the uh, defensive tackle absolutely dominated in that game and I looked at the tape over and over again and you like to joke that my wife was probably ready to kill me well she probably was when I spent 26 hours after the season looking at every uh, variation of, uh, of tape that there was. That's when you went in the bunker. I remember that. I, I was in the bunker. I was, yeah. I was in the man room. You know, the shades were drawn. I didn't shave for two weeks. 
<laughs> you know? You were that hunkered was the big down. Thing. I, I was hunkered down. That was the big thing that I looked at was that Denver Broncos game because we saw the week earlier, and, and, and again, the you, you hit it when you said that the Colts weren't a great run defense, and we all expected the blunt force trauma to take, take effect. The offensive line wasn't able to do anything, and the Denver Broncos were able to play eight men in the box, which you know, basically what that means is that the safety comes up just behind the linebacker. They played one-on-one coverage outside with a one safety high. And for you people that you know want to learn about X's and O's, I, I suggest Pat Kerwin's book, Take Your Eye Off the Ball, How to Know Football When Knowing Where to Look. That is a great book to learn about this sort of stuff. But that's what the Broncos were able to do. They were able to step up and, you know, play a little bump-and-run coverage on the outside against smaller wide receivers in the Julian Edelman and in the Danny Amendola, and to a lesser extent, even though he's a bigger wide receiver, a, a halfway healthy uh, Aaron Dobson, and they were and they just dropped their linebackers into a, a five-yard hook zone. And there was nowhere to go because the offensive line didn't stop them. You know, they ran right up the middle. And Brady could not step up, and that's what happens. And no quarterback that can't step up outside of a guy like Cam Newton who can make some extra time and a guy like, you know, the new brand of quarterback, the running quarterback, can do that. So that's why I think one of the biggest things is that offensive line, and it hit a nerve when, of course, you know, Mike Reese was talking about it. Well, and the lines, both offensive and defensive lines, are are the, the grunt guys, the, the names that a lot of people can't even name who are the linemen uh, on, on either. The, you know, the defensive end gets all the, the, the glory because they get the sacks, and you know those names. But the guys in the trenches um, are, are critical to both offense and, and defense, and, you know, they, they are the lowest paid positions overall unless you happen to be a punt returner or, a, you know, you're, you're a specialty player. But uh, they are a key, and they're an area the Patriots are going to have to solidify next year, uh, both on offense and defense, and, and move some bodies around. And you know, it will be to me that's one of the interesting things because both positions, especially on offense, they rely on the their, the guy on the right and left more than any other positions in football. You know, if you're a wide receiver. Yeah, the quarterback has to have time to get the ball to you, but you're basically one-on-one. When you're going down the field, what the other wide receivers are doing doesn't matter to you. And and I know the other maybe decoys in in a pattern, but in reality you're playing one-on-one football. When you're on the line, everybody relies on on the, the person next to them, both on offensive and defense. And it takes a while to get used to whoever that player is. Uh so any major changes usually takes a pretty good while for, for the, the, the line to gel, again, both on offense and defense. Uh, so, again, that will be an interesting point. The Patriots, over the years, have the reputation on, uh, of having these great offensive lines. How much of that was uh, Strynecki and how much of that was, you know, yeah, talent, and if they suddenly move two or three people to different positions next year on the offensive line, whether it's at center, whether it's at, at guard or tackle, how much impact will that have on the protection and the unity you need when you're out there on the field? 
Oh, exactly, Bob. Again, you listen to CLNS Radio Patriots Beat. And CLNS Radio is a free broadcast, and the lifeblood of our organization is ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. So please search CLNS Radio on iTunes and Stitcher. Rate, review, and subscribe. Please do it. It really helps us, and it helps us know what our fans want to see. So we thank you for that. We thank all the listeners for that. Bob, let's move on a little bit here to other things. Go ahead. I I was going to do a little rant, and I had mentioned it to you earlier. I think I just got off of rant number one. <laughs> but I, I <laughs> well, rant it right I, up. I want to talk uh, a little bit about the word choke because uh, it's one yeah. of my pet peeves. I, I you know whether it's watching the Olympics and on and and when you're on Twitter and you tweet something out, it's instantaneous, it's a reaction, it's not necessarily how you feel long-term. However, the word choke has become so common for sports fans to use when a team loses. doesn't matter whether it's Peyton Manning, ah, he choked, the, 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 and he's got a history, obviously, so there may be a little bit more to the fact that he has trouble in, in the big game. But when you're watching the Olympics and, and the gold medal, the, the, the women's soccer or hockey team, and they lead for 58 minutes in the game, play spectacular, uh, the other team pulls the goalie and is playing on basically a power play. It scores two goals at the end of the game and ties the game up and, and then wins in overtime for Canada. And all I'm hearing is, ah, the, the women choked at the end of the game. And it was driving me nuts. And then on the USA-Canada game, again, the same thing. Ah, oh, the guys choked. Hey, Canada was a better team, guys. It has Obviously nothing to were. do with someone <laughs> choking. No, yeah, choke is a very overused word. There, uh, there are certain things that I can sit back and say, okay, yeah, that was a real choke job. You know, if you want to look back at yep. the Red Sox beating the uh, the Yankees four games in a row, that could have been a choke job, you know. But other than that, I mean, the U.S. women's losing this week. That's that's tough. But you're right; they were playing on a, you know, they pulled a goalie. The same thing happened when uh, the Bruins this past year, uh, when they scored three goals uh, in the seventh game. Did Toronto choke, or did the better team just take it? Yep. Could you sit there and say that Peyton Manning has choked in the playoffs before? Possibly. But, you know, people sit there and go, oh, Tom Brady choked. Tom Brady choked in the AFC Championship game. Tom Brady missed two passes in the AFC Championship game. Even if he hits those passes, do the Patriots win? Maybe. Maybe not. You know, same thing in the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, Peyton Manning choked because, you know, the first snap of the game went in for a safety. Well, you know, that's just as much the center's fault as it is Peyton Manning. You know, and, well, and, and it's, that brings me to it. I, I no, was going to say, and, they, and I'll, I'll let you go on. I just wanted to jump in real quick. And the, anyone who has never played under the pressure of that situation, it is a high-pressure situation. And is your heart pumping faster than it would be under other situations? I think any athlete will tell you, heck, yeah, and – are you more prone to make a mistake? Some people are. But, you know, use baseball as an example. Heck, if you're successful three out of ten times, people rave about how great you are in the clutch. Yeah. I mean, David Ortiz had a 
terrible ALCS this year. But then he got into the World Series, and my God, they couldn't get him out. So was he choking in the ALCS? And then suddenly get it together? And I, it just doesn't make sense. Yes, there's pressure. Yes, people react differently under pressure. But the word choke is is such an exaggeration. That's all I'm saying is, you know, did they play their best? No. Did they choke? <sighs> Come on. Yeah, you're, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is one of those words that it, it's just like a, it's a lightning rod. And it gets, yeah. it gets you going because of the fact that, you know, you're right. Twitter is so instant, and everyone out on Twitter has a voice right now. It's Everyone has an opinion, and no one's opinion is 100% right. But you sit there and you go, all right, well, there's a value, value point. But it's that immediate talking or typing in this case without having the – you know, without having the, the, the thought to look back and, and, and think about it. I try myself not to get emotional when I tweet, you know, get out there and say, oh, my God. If you watch after a, after a Patriots game, you know, if you followed myself or, or the, uh, the Patriots beat account, basically, you know, I, I sit there and I take a deep breath before I tweet because it's out there. It, it's, it, it's so reactionary. You know, and, and that's the one thing. You know, you can't be reactionary. You have to actually take all all the assets into hand before you can tweet out. And I think you're right. Choke has been one of the one of the big words, and and that was brought us to another thing that you and I had talked about is the Patriots fan hatred for Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. It's one of the I, things that you had brought to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't understand it, in all honesty. I understand the rivalry. And I do understand the Brady-Banning arguments. And I think they're great for football, that you've got, you know, we're, we're all, again, fortunate enough to be watching during the era when those two guys are playing. Uh, and has Brady been more successful than, than Manning in playoff games? Yes. But why does it make you hate Manning? I mean, it, I I don't understand that. Manning is a great quarterback. That doesn't take anything away from Brady. He's a great quarterback. But where does all that hate for Manning come from? I mean, no, he's it, not playing it, for I the guess, New York Yankees, so you can't yeah, tie it in. He's with the Colts. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I guess the big thing there is, you know, you have to hate one to love the other. It, it goes yeah. back to the, the Bloodsoe-Brady debate. You know, there were so many people that came out after after that, and there was there was spew of hatred for Drew Blood. So when there was spew of hatred for Tom Brady, you don't have to hate one guy to respect another guy more. Do you want to see Peyton Manning do worse? Yeah, but there's no denying he's probably one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Do I hate Peyton Manning? No, I don't personally hate him. Do I hate when he plays the Patriots? Yeah, because he's a dang good quarterback and. I don't. I don't want to lose to him because, you know, if 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 they lose to him, oh my God, they're going to talk bad about my quarterback. And it's funny because it brings you back. And you said he doesn't play for the New York Yankees. Well, earlier this week, or actually earlier this month, one of the greatest Yankees of all time, Derek Jeter, announced that this was going to be his final regular season playing for the New York Yankees. He was retiring at the end of this year, and I can remember when. Going back some time when when we had Nomar Garcia Para, 
And it was all this Nomar's better, and you had to hate Derek Jeter. And then all of a sudden, uh, I remember it was the 2004 uh, season when when Jeter ended up in the in the stands, and there was a little respect shown for Jeter. And now all of a sudden, there's all this stuff coming out from Boston sports fans about you know Derek Jeter and their respect for him. I expect the same thing to happen. Not that I expect Peyton Manning to say, okay, well this is my last year. I think he'll take it year by year, just as. Tom Brady will over the next four, three or four years to decide, you know, when they're going to just retire. But not many football players announced this is going to be their last year, except, you know, maybe Tony Gonzalez. But I expect that when Peyton Manning ends up retiring and saying goodbye, that you'll see a you'll see a switch in, in Patriots Nation and to uh, a, you know a lesser extent the rest of the NFL that that rooted against Peyton Manning that. He'll be the type of guy that that uh, fans, al- along with media, will sit a- and talk about how great he is. I mean, I never well, like to see. Uh, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, and he's not a bad person. You know, sometimes no, it's because the person, you know, whether it's you know, I, I, Roethlisberger and some of the issues that he's had off the field. There are things that that you know, indicate he may not be a really nice guy uh, and may have some problems. <laughs> That's not been the case with Manning. I mean, he's pretty much, yeah, he's led a sheltered life because of the way his family has has helped him. But you know, he says the right thing. He acts the right way when he wins or loses. He doesn't, uh, you know, badmouth the opponent. I don't think I've ever heard him put down Tom Brady. And I've never heard Brady put him down. They both have a mutual respect for each other. So it's not like he's a bad person, and I agree. That's the same using the the uh, the Yankee comparison and, and with the retirement going on this year round. I think you're right. I think Manning will ultimately have the respect maybe when both he and Brady are gone. I sure hope so because you see the word hate used. It's kind of like I mentioned the choke word earlier. You see that hate word against uh, against Manning, and you'll see, you know, again, many people that just say, well, I'm not going to root for them because Manning's their quarterback. And I, I just, like I said, I don't understand it, and I hope you're absolutely right and that uh, once he retires, the, the real fan of sports will give him his just reward. Exactly. Well, Paul, we've got about five minutes left to go on the show here, so I'm going to let you. I'm going to open this up a little bit to, for both of us to kind of talk about what we'd like to see the Patriots do over the next six to eight weeks between free agency and the draft. So I'll let you go first. All right. Well, first of all, I think they're, they're, one of their biggest needs is tight ends, and there's some pretty good tight ends in the draft this year. Uh, and if they go that route, I'm fine. If they don't go that route, decide to sign. You know, some of the people that are out there in free agency, there's there's also a, a tight end that I, I really like out there in free agency uh, that, I, that I think could help the Patriots a lot. Uh, and, and I'm talking about Scott Chandler from the Bills. He's yeah. not a, a great receiver, but I think he would be a, a an asset to the Patriots. I've always liked him uh, as a tight end. But I, I think tight end is one of the positions that if they are going to – get back into the offensive flow anywhere near it was 
when they had both Hernandez and Gronk back there. Uh, they they definitely need another tight end. Uh, there's there's no tight end on the roster right now that worries you as a receiver. Uh, and you know we all hope Gronk will come back, but but it, you just never know. So I think tight end is a high need for them, and I would like to see them. Yeah, not necessarily their first draft choice because there's some tight ends that'll be down there in the the third or fourth rounds that are still pretty good. So that that to me is the immediate need. I'd like to see them fill. Uh, I also will be interested to see what happens with Vince Wilfork because he's such a high cap hit. Uh, and if not him, how they resolve the issue in the defense up the middle. Uh, so, I, I, you know, Wilfork, a, a lot of people may not realize this, he's got the second biggest cap hit on the Patriots uh, this mm, year. They exactly. will rework his contract. If Brady's number one and Wilfork is number two. So they're going to have to do some work around the cap hit. But uh, on the defense up the middle, uh, that's the area I think they, they need help. I've mentioned before safety. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan uh, of, of their, not McCourty, but, but the safeties as a whole are not hard hitting back there, and I'd like to see them do something at safety. But really, when the injured players come back, this should be a pretty strong team. It'll be interesting to see oh. also whether what they do with Tlaib. Exactly. Definitely will be interesting to see there. And, you know, I, I, I too, I mean, of course, I want to see the trenches addressed. I do believe that a tight end is needed. However, it's been a lot of people, and we mentioned him on the top of the show, Jason Merrow, um, you know, a guy that, oh, he could be the he could be the Aaron Hernandez of this team, the move tight end. And, and really right now, the move tight end for the New England Patriots would be a luxury. Uh, what they need to do is come out and take a take a player um, or bring in Scott Chandler. I like Scott Chandler a lot. That could be Gronk when Gronk's not here, you know, and, and, and really help that around. I don't think they need that move tight end as much as anything. Um, I, I'd like to see them draft the tight end, but I don't think they should waste the first-round draft pick on Jason Merrill. I'd like to see them, uh, you know, pick up a, a, a defensive tackle or um, – a guard or a center, this and that, but that's the one thing that I'm looking at. And as far as I'm concerned about the uh, about the Vince Wilford contract, it came out today that the uh, NFL uh, salary cap is going to be 132 million. The Patriots have 4.1 that they can bring over, so actually their draft is going to be 136 cap uh, hit. They got 126 million, so they got about 10 million dollars to play with. So that's not too bad. Would love to see them re-sign Akeem Tlaib. The music in the background means we got about 30 seconds left. Join us next week as Mike Loco of NEPatriots.com, NEPatriotsDraft.com, joins us to talk a little bit about the draft. For Bob Snowden, I'm Jeff Kane. Thank you very much for listening to Patriots Beat. Forget to download us on iTunes, full free, and give us a rating. And remember, this is CLNS Radio. DLNS Radio.